Hi there. Thank you for tuning into my podcast, Under the Red and White Carpet. I'm Molly McEwen. In this podcast, I will be discussing social issues in Calgary that are being exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. We constantly hear from people who are running the COVID show about what they are doing to protect us and how important our city's essential workers are and how much they are appreciated. But at some point, thank yous become empty as if we are trying to put a band-aid on an injury that needs stitches. These people who are towing the pandemic line and are deemed the heroes fighting the virus are facing their own social issues on a daily basis that aren't being highlighted enough with no real solutions being offered to fix the problems that they continue to experience. I will be introducing my guests under an alias so their identities and livelihoods are protected. For my first podcast, I've invited B to talk about her experience as a healthcare professional who was redeployed as a frontline healthcare provider at not only Calgary's busiest COVID testing site, but also in the province. At times, she and her colleagues were testing up to 900 clients a day. Thank you for joining me, B. I've heard that your redeployment has just ended after seven and a half months. How are you doing? I'm doing much better now. Thank you for asking. So my first question, as a healthcare provider, you must come across social issues every day. Tell me about your experience working as a COVID frontline healthcare provider and some of the social issues you may have seen. I mean, during this pandemic and in our experience, some of these social issues were really coming to the forefront really early. Like I'm talking in the first couple of weeks that we were working on the swabbing clinics and in the call centers to get people in. Um, so yeah, they did come to the forefront. And I think that particularly um, that social isolation and exclusion, as well as mental health um, have been taxed and are getting worse with time. So going from there, you've talked about the, the issues that you saw from the people that you'd see at your sites. What about you and your colleagues? Well, I think that my colleagues and I, we're just normal people, right? Have our own lives and our own families that are, you know, unique in in ways that uh, we're all different. But I think that the pandemic affects us too, that um, not only are we working in it and we're up to our eyeballs and our eyebrows and, and just drowning in it every day, it's that when we go home, we're also faced with the same things that other people are faced with, that you know, our families are, are experiencing isolation. I think also that um, our mental health is, has been taxed. And so um, did you want me to tell you specifically how that is or some of the experiences that I've seen specifically with myself and my colleagues? If you're comfortable with that, that would be great. I am. And, and I can speak, I'll first speak out of, you know, comfort of other people because that's always easy to talk about someone else mm-hmm. than yourself. But I've had colleagues that um, have broken down at work and we don't see that in our day-to-day usually that you know whether we're faced with certain types of patients or situations we tend to be able to roll with the punches right because it's mm-hmm. normal and and some days are good and some days are bad but on the every day someone is breaking down and breaking down from being exhausted and breaking down from confusion and breaking down because they just almost can't put one foot in front of the other or that they're on a hamster wheel and, it, and it's starting to hurt. Um, I think that I've also um, had many conversations with colleagues who are actually, you know, drinking more and, and in the alcohol, right, which 
it's something that I know that people partake in, but I mean, on the daily basis where they said, I've never done this before, but I do drink every day. And I do that because I want to fall asleep or I do that because I feel um, that I have to, like, it's just something that kind of takes my edge off. Um, I've had uh, colleagues say that they basically have been diving into food that they never would have before and it's literally waiting on their car seat when they leave because they need to do that on the way home because um you know, it's one of those things where someone says like if i don't do this i feel like i'm going to kill myself right mm -hmm. and i know that sounds dramatic but it's one of those things it's it's like it's like a safety blanket right i think that the for us as far as say being isolated or excluded um, absolutely not, um, because we are working together and it's like a team. But I think that the reaction that we get from the public is, is a very odd one. And it's very an mm -hmm. uneasy feeling that on any and every day, the clients will come in and look at us like we're dangerous or that we're diseased or they don't want to speak to us. And, you know, we're talking to people generally in their cars mm -hmm. and they won't roll down their window to speak to us and it's a really horrible feeling when someone looks at you like there's something wrong with you almost dehumanizing yeah very dehumanizing it's it's insulting and it's dehumanizing and it and I know for me personally I think that it really got under my skin and that I was not okay with that and it started to make me feel angry actually and that's not how I generally would have approached a client or a patient is with uh you know getting ready to to be angry with somebody mm -hmm. and I know that it's coming out of fear and it's coming out of people's misunderstanding and and their knowledge base may not be good and uh obviously it's every man for themselves when they're showing up there and that's also an attitude that's pretty tough to take but it is tough on on the mental health that someone looks at you like there's something wrong with you Mm -hmm. So the treatment from the public has obviously been misguided and, and rough, to say the least. So what about the treatment from the people who are running these sites, people who are, who are your, your boss and telling you how to do your job? Yeah, that's, that's a whole other side of things. And I know that in any job that sometimes you have good leadership and sometimes the leadership is, is less than good. And there has been good leadership where we felt supported. Um, but that's not consistent. Uh, there's been leadership where we are meant to feel that we're disposable. And again, that's kind of that same feeling that we've been approached with numbers and we've been approached with um, speed. Those two things are something that were drilled into us um, very early on is speed and numbers and speed and numbers. Um, there were times when our leadership would tell us not to talk to people, that we were there to do one thing that not to have a conversation, um, it's very dehumanizing and it's it's a very disposable type of feeling that, you know, you don't act like a human being, you're a machine, you get this stuff done. And so those days are difficult. Um, they were very difficult because uh, you really know what you mean to people around you on that day. And, and that was very much a thing that was happening. I mean, we were left in situations where, you know, um, we were told to do things that we knew that weren't um, safe necessarily. And uh, of course we have to do what we're told, but again, that's that very dehumanizing thing. And, you know, people realize their mistakes mm -hmm. and uh, they do get rectified, but in those moments, 
um, when your heart starts to race and you feel like you're basically stepping in front of a bullet, I guess is a good way to describe it. And you don't quite know why, and you don't understand why your leadership would be doing that to you. It's a very, very hard thing. It, it, it really does start to get your confidence pretty shaky. So it sounds like um, the people who are running these sites and the, Al the Alberta people who are in charge of this have almost been treating it more like a competition rather than a health crisis. Did you find in your recent experience that the system of, of the fear culture has caused some abuses of the system? I think that, that that was probably something that was absolutely happening. I mean, I can speak to sort of more that com competitive type of numbers thing that there was a time, yes, that, and I would say that this is probably more in that summer and fall time, that it was a really a, a brag that Alberta was really good at this testing and we were fast and we could put out numbers like nobody's business and we were testing more than anyone. And and that was on the backs of of my colleagues and, and myself, like on people like myself, that these numbers are coming from humans and it's hard and it's coming from the people who work in the lab. And that is, I think that now that the, you know, the rates of COVID have changed and now we're seeing more and in a, in a second wave that we're no longer able to brag. And, you know, I think that the health part of it rather than the numbers part of it has become um, very significant. Numbers are also obviously still a big player, but I could see um, a different spin now when I, I try not to watch the news a lot. And I think that at one point I was a bit addicted because I wanted to see what was happening. Mm -hmm. And I think I just couldn't take my mind out of it. But now when I look at it, I feel disappointed. Um, I feel that a lot of the work that we did and, and the hours and hours that we put in feels like it was a bit of a lost cause at the time. And I know that it's, that it's, you know, it's up to everybody and it's up to our leadership, but it felt, now I feel quite, um, I feel disappointed, I think, and confused again. Um, what was the second part of that question again? I got stuck on the numbers. <laughs> no, that's all right. I just wanted to know if you felt that um, our provincial leaders who did a lot of boasting about how great Alberta's healthcare system was and that we were getting the highest numbers in Canada at certain points, and they were so proud of that, but did you find that this this um, the way they treated it as, a, as if it were a competition rather than a healthcare crisis, did you find that this caused abuses to you and your colleagues and abuses of the system and that this really was not the Canadian culture of how we're supposed to treat each other. Oh, yeah, okay. That was compromised. Yeah, definitely. I think that it was compromised, obviously, by our leadership, first and foremost, for sure, because the push was very, very hard. Some of them did not even have a, an understanding of what was, was maybe happening down on the ground, right? Like, on the front line, we, you hear about frontline workers all the time, but, I mean, to walk in the shoes is difficult, right? It, and I'm not complaining because we did what we did and we do what we have to every day. That's being a frontline healthcare provider just is. I think that if they had a chance to walk in our shoes, those 20, most of the time, if they ever came down to see how things were doing, they'd come and look at the lineup, which was usually like an hour to an hour, two hours long, um, probably just peruse uh, what was going on and then say, we can add some more. 
And that's basically the response we got. So I think that if they had a chance to experience the conversations, like you said, and see the fear and, and see the people crying in their cars, which is on the daily, every day, all day, um, having people yell at us. And, uh, you know, um, we are the ones that were taking the heat for lineups. And if they had a chance to just experience that once or twice, they may have had a different um, outlook on, on how things were being pushed at, at us, uh, our teams. And so I think that that was very difficult because they weren't ever coming down and saying, how are you guys doing? They were coming down and just looking at what more could we push on these people. I think as far as the public, um, there was abuses of the system where people were coming in for testing without symptoms. And even after, they weren't supposed to come in without symptoms. After that asymptomatic sort of baseline was figured out, People were rolling in as if this was not a big deal. It's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Adding to someone's already stressful day where we're dealing with people who may have COVID, are scared, are sick, need to be tested. The numbers are high already. And they roll in like it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It was a mm -hmm. big deal because that was starting to get under people's skin again, that we're not here. This isn't trivial. It wasn't just something to do. It wasn't like an outing, like for ice cream you know and so that's how we felt sometimes it's like you know this is not okay this is serious we're serious we got a job to do yeah do you, do you think they treated it similar to that sort of situation where they just thought oh, i'll just go just to see when really that's not how they should have been viewing it oh absolutely i think that that just comes down to that thing where they're not um they haven't informed themselves or they feel that this is just maybe a little bit trivial and they were coming sometimes just to the one of the quotes was just to rule it out well if you have no reason to be there you don't need to rule it out right we felt very used and and i felt very used on those days because we really have to put patient first that's mm -hmm. that's our mantra that's the way that we roll right and so when you're trying to put someone's needs first and you're trying to treat them with respect which is what we're doing and try to um, understand where they're coming from that's a tough one it's confusing and I think that confusion can lead to questioning and questioning can lead to feeling bad some days about like am I doing anything here or what am I doing to make a difference and that can lead to you know feelings of, of a bit of desperation mm -hmm. right and so um, that feeling of desperation was a was a very very clear clear thing to see every day that uh, we're just swimming in it and we're feeling a bit desperate. And when you go home and you feel desperate, it doesn't go away. You know, mm -hmm. you, you start to get really tired and I think not just physically tired. Putting on 20 kilometers a day is great. Um, it is physical, but I think that the mental fatigue was probably a, a greater thing than, than a physical fatigue for sure. Well, to bring our discussion to a close, B, what do you hope? people will learn from the COVID-19 pandemic and what you hope will be the takeaway when this is all over. We need to lead with kindness. We need to treat each other with kindness and with patience. And B, it has been a pleasure talking with you today and thank you for sharing your insights and experience with me. So thank you for tuning into my podcast, Under the Red and White Carpet. I'm Molly McEwen. Until next time.